Amen. Thank you for that. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And let's dismiss our children for the children's ministry. Acts chapter number 2. Love that song. Love the message. Thank you, choir, for the great message this morning. And glad for the truth that we sing, that it's, it's true. Amen. Truth liberates. And we want to stay saturated, surrounded by, and submissive to truth. This morning, we're going to look at a, a new, we're going to launch into a, a little bit of a new uh, series here. Our theme this year is experiencing God. And some, you've got always a ditch on both sides of everything that's right and true. And some, they hear the word experience, they get nervous. And we've let charismatics hijack Bible truth from us because they major in the area of experience. And what tends to happen is a charismatic friend would say, I don't know what the Bible says there, and I don't really care what the Bible says. I know what I experience. Well, that's not orthodox. That, that's not Bible. But what has happened is, over time, we've gotten to the point where we've said, I know that's what the Bible says, but I've not experienced it, so it must not be true. Well, that's dead orthodoxy. We don't want our experience to interpret the Bible. We want the Bible to interpret our experience. And the truth is, the Bible is that mirror we look into and where our experience is not matching. We don't alter the Bible. We, we let God transform our lives. And so experiencing God that's what we're going after. Not just knowing Him. People know about Him. Unless we take the word no, as I prayed, Paul said in Philippians 3.10, saved Paul, Apostle Paul. He said that I may know, gnosko, experientially know God. Paul, in the, even uh, until his, his last days, kept praying, God, I want to know you. The power of your resurrection. Well, God wants to be known that way. And so we then looked at a series uh, in, in light of our year theme, looked at how to experience him now. We don't have to wait till someday. The disciples didn't have to wait till after they graduated from the school of Jesus. You don't have to wait till after you've read the book for God to use you. God wants to use you and work in your life now. Amen. Well, I want us to look at a, another segment of this same vein, but we're going to look at some healthy habits for Christians. Healthy habits for the church. And we have uh, five habits of healthy Christians. And this morning, I've entitled this message, it's the overview of this, but it takes five to thrive. And it's going to take implementing these healthy habits or spiritual disciplines in order that we would thrive. Not just flounder, not just make it through. And in Acts chapter number 2, we see at the end of the chapter a description of the church that has experienced a, an empowering by the Spirit of God. And let's go ahead and stand and we'll read this. And 
and we'll jump in and get, we're going to look at this as an overview this morning that'll lead us into our five habits. And we'll take one habit and we'll look at those each Sunday in order that we would thrive. And I believe that that's the whole point and design of these spiritual disciplines. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. I mean, when the church is putting into practice the five things that will help it thrive, the Lord not only is able, but the Lord delights to add people to a place that recognizes the Lord. And it says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This morning, we're talking about it takes five to thrive. Five habits of a healthy Christian. Thank you. Please be seated. Years ago, I was introduced to a book, a secular book, and written by Stephen Covey, who has now passed away. And, and I don't know if he ever was a Christian, but he was one that wrote the book of the seven habits of a successful leader. Stephen Covey described that before the First World War, success was attributed to ethics of character. This included characteristics such as humility, fidelity, integrity, courage, and justice. He said, but after the war, there was a shift, a shift to what Covey refers to as the personality ethic. And he said, here success was attributed as a function of a person's personality, their public image, their behaviors, their skills. Yet these were just shallow, quick successes overlooking the deeper principles of life. Stephen Covey argued that it's your character that needs to be cultivated to achieve sustainable success, not your winsome personality. See, what we are says far more than what we say or do. The character ethic, as Stephen Covey presented it, is based upon a series of principles. And Covey claimed these principles are self-evident and endure in most religious, social, and ethical systems. They have universal applications. And when you value the correct principles, you see reality as it truly is. That's the foundation of his best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly effective people. And one of the things that Covey said that was just helpful 
is, and it applies throughout all of life. And he said this, quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. But just like the seven habits by Stephen Covey, there are other habits that are described in the word of God that have taught me profound truths that also transcend culture, transcend jobs, transcend personal circumstances because they're based upon Bible principles. Now remember, you can take truth from anything and I could take Stephen Covey's book, and I have, and I've gone through and I've said, that's a Bible principle. And I'd write Bible verses all throughout it. And I often do that with books that are secular books, but I see that's a Bible principle. Why? Because all truth is God's truth. And when we look at these things, we can see that if it comes from truth, truth, we ought to be able to find it comes back to the one who is the truth and who says, John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Habits ought to come from principles that ought to come from truth. And what is it that the Bible teaches us? It's truth that liberates us. It's truth that makes us free. These habits have, that we're gonna go through have helped me see what otherwise I could not see. In every situation, I can use these principles and these habits that we're gonna get into as paradigms associated with each of these habits and I can think over these and look over these and I can use these as a reset of the north, the north star direction of my life. You see, we can spiritually fall into bad habits and find ourselves in a rut. You may feel lethargic personally. You may feel disconnected from the body. And if you feel stuck and you look to grow, then understand that God has given to us these particular habits. And there are many more, but all five of these we find in the early church in individual believers' lives there in Acts chapter 2 that we just read in that, those remaining verses. And let me remind you, it's because of what we just read in those verses and these habits and spiritual disciplines that translate into the remainder of the activity of the book of Acts. Each of these habits is fundamental to our Christian life. Let me mention to you these habits. Number one, it's weekly worship. Number two, it's daily prayer. Number three, it's daily scripture reading. Number four, it's regular giving. And number five, it's sharing your faith or communicating your testimony. It's it's being soul conscious. It's confrontation regarding truth. These habits, they're fundamental to our Christian life. They are firmly grounded in the example given to us by the Lord Jesus himself and is in the word of God replete throughout. See, when we practice these disciplines we experience God's power within us. Interestingly, none of these habits are new. 
They're not novel. They're not groundbreaking. They're not revolutionary. In fact, they're so well known that some of you are already bored with them and you've already gone to sleep. Now let me remind you, I can't communicate through dreams and visions. If I could, I'd say sleep on. It's dangerous to fall asleep while driving. It's dangerous to fall asleep during the preaching of God's word as well. Amen. Stay awake. I'll chuck a hymnal at you if I can, all right? And I'm telling you, I was at the ball game Friday night. And um, not only does Will pray for the sauce to be brought, he brought sauce this morning. I can testify to that. Now, I know if it doesn't go well this morning, I did learn from Friday night, we just have fireworks. And so if it doesn't, if, if we don't do well up here, we'll, we can resort to fireworks and, and uh, it'll all get better. These aren't novelties. This is not some new trick. I'm not going to give you a new tip, an easier or better life. That's not what these are. These are just the basic elements of following Christ. They are the fundamentals. And we can always use a refresher on the fundamentals. We, we see it in sports all the time. I've told you before, but remember Vince Lombardi? In 1961, the coach of the Green Bay Packers started first day of training camp with professional football players with the priority of mastering the fundamentals when he took a football, held it up in front of these professional athletes and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Why? Because you never graduate from fundamentals. One of the reasons that I've enjoyed watching college sports many times over professional sports is because in the professional, they get away from the fundamentals. They forgot how to tackle. They forgot how to execute plays. And you many times can watch college and you can see the execution because of the, the laboring on mastering fundamentals. But success in sports and nearly ever endeavor in life is to master our fundamentals. So our goal in going through this is not to teach some new method. It's not to teach some new fad or trend, but it's to reinforce and deepen what we know we should already be doing. We know that we should go to church. We know we should pray. We know we should be reading the Bible. We know that we should be giving through the local church. We know we should be communicating to people about their soul that will live forever somewhere. But in this, we need to let this examine us and allow God to help us examine ourselves. Now we're going to look at some questions that come with this and that is, well, what are we doing with the basics? How are we doing with the basics? How does scripture speak to these practices and how is it that these are to shape our life? What is the goal that we should be seeking in doing these things? Now the word discipline, spiritual disciplines, and spiritual habits. The word discipline comes from the word disciple. No wonder many don't want to be disciples of Jesus because they don't want to be disciplined. What does discipline mean? It means to 
be instructed, to be controlled. And so this morning, what I want us to do is, is simply look at this overview of this. Three questions that tend to come up, and I dwindled them down from many questions that people have asked in discipleship when it comes to these. I want to try to answer these questions to launch us into this over the next five weeks or so and talking about these spiritual disciplines. Here's number one, question number one. Why does God want me to grow spiritually? That, that's assuming that he does want me to grow spiritually. And the answer to does he want me to grow is yes. But why does God want me to grow spiritually? Someone says, well, I thought salvation is without works. I thought salvation was a gift. I didn't think we had to do anything to get saved. And that is true. Salvation is completely by God's grace. You don't do anything to earn your way to God. But spiritual disciplines and habits, while they do not and cannot earn your place in God's family or in heaven, spiritual disciplines and spiritual habits, they have a part in God's family. See, salvation, listen, is not a response by God to something that I do. Spiritual discipline, or excuse me, salvation rather, is not a response by God to something that we do. Rather, spiritual discipline is a response to what God has already done for us. You're not saved by spiritual discipline of any kind, but when you get saved, there ought to be the response of spiritual disciplines. See, spiritual disciplines and habits are our response to God and what He has already done for us. You know, we can only desire God. We can only follow God because of whatever work He's already doing within us. 1 John 4, 19, we can only love Him because He first loved us. So all of our Christian life ought to be a response to what God has already initiated, what God has already invested, what God is already doing within our life. See, when God saves a person, He begins a holy construction process. It's a process called sanctification. What is this matter of sanctification? Well, it's simply the process by which we become more like God himself. I like to tell people when they get saved, God literally moves inside of you and your great joy is to learn how to live with the one who lives inside of you. And that process is sanctification. See, the truth is God loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. God's will, God's plan is for us to be like Jesus. And not just be like him in imitating, but to be like him in essence. 
In other words, to experience His peace, His love, His joy, His power. You can't emulate. You can't manufacture. Oh, you, you, you can, you can um, turn the other cheek and, and you can do that. You can manufacture that. You can grit your teeth and I'll turn the other cheek. cheek. You can grit your teeth and bow down and pray like Jesus did in the garden. But you can't manufacture peace, joy. So when I say be like Jesus, I'm not talking about just in your motions and mannerisms. No, I'm talking about in your very spirit. What you can't do, it's His holy construction process within our life. God's will is to conform us into His image. See, many Christians, I think, are like the airplane pilot who came on the loudspeaker and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that our navigational system has malfunctioned. We do not know where we are going. We do not know where we are. But the good news is we're making excellent time. You know. And I think a lot of people are living their life that way. I don't really know where I am. I don't really, I don't, I don't know. I don't know God's will. I hope I'm there. I think so. You know, I, I think it's a pretty, I haven't been struck by lightning, so I must be in God's will. And the truth is many don't really know, but, but we're making good time. You know, we're just, we're right where God would have us to be. I'm not dead yet. I want you to understand it's God's will. He wants you to grow. So in this first thought, we're saying God doesn't save us by our good works. Why? Because you can't do enough. There's never been enough good works you can do. He saves us, however, in order to do a good work within you. He wants you to look like his son, Jesus. What is the victorious Christian life? What is the normal Christian life? It's my life, divinely filled and supernaturally empowered by Jesus Christ to love God and to serve people for God's glory. That's what God's wanting to do in your life. See, these habits are how this transformation process accelerates. These habits are the same ones, do you know, that Jesus practiced in his very life here upon this earth? These spiritual biblical disciplines are the means by which the Holy Spirit can work within us, changing us from the inside out. See, God can change the way you think. God can change what you love. God can align your thoughts and desires with his and take your actions and turn them and make them a part of his perfect and good will for your life. But spiritual disciplines are God's way of changing us and making us more like him. Number two. Here's a second question. Do spiritual disciplines lead us to, I may have given Brother Cherry a different word here, inauthenticity. Did I put hypocrisy? Do spiritual disciplines lead us to hypocrisy or being not genuine, an inauthenticity? In other words, if I do all those things, preacher, won't that just make me a, a Pharisee? Should we pray when God's Spirit leads me to pray? And should we give whenever God 
prompts us to give? And should we be real and genuine? And if we're just doing these, these things, we're just going to become pharisaical. Do all these habits and disciplines, is there a danger that they'll lead us to hypocrisy? And let me say this, it's never bad to be spontaneous and responsive to God's Spirit. When God leads you to pray, you already had your hour with God and God leads you to pray some more, pray some more. God leads you to fast when you were not planning to fast, you better fast. When God leads you to give when you don't have it planned to give, you better listen to God and give. When God puts upon your heart and says, you better talk to that person about their soul, you better listen to God. I remember coming out of store one time and going to my car and, and, I, and I passed this person. I, actually, I was going into the store. The person was coming out and I just, I sensed God saying, you need to talk to them about their soul. And I thought, well, I, I, I've got a limited time. Let me get in there and I'll find somebody else. And it was as though God said, if you don't turn around and talk to them, you've disobeyed and you've grieved my spirit. So I turned around and I tried to find where that person was real quick, saw them getting into their car and said, hey, listen, I just, I passed you, but um, I just want to give you this good news gospel track. It helps you know how you can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The person looked at it and said, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? He said, how did you know? And the person went on to explain, I'm so tired. I was just picking up some things for my family and I was heading home to take my own life. I said, I didn't know, but God does. I said, rather than taking your life, God wants to give it to you. And there in the parking lot, they bowed their head and asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart and life and save their soul. I'm telling you, when God speaks to you, you better listen. But just because something is a discipline or a habit does not mean it is inauthentic or fake. It doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. On the contrary, disciplines are how we become who we were made to be. Many people justify a variety of behaviors by calling them natural. Natural. But I want to say natural? Natural for the human race? Natural would be for you not to brush your teeth. Natural would be you would defecate in your pants. I've been to countries outside of this U.S., but you don't have to go outside the U.S. to find people this way. My wife and I were down in downtown Atlanta not too long ago where people on the street just defecating on the sidewalk in Atlanta. I want to tell you what is natural is not always right. And just because something might be a spiritual discipline or a habit it doesn't mean that it's bad. Listen, if you have bad habits, then that's who you are becoming. If you have good habits, then that's who you are becoming. Our habits are how we are becoming authentically Christ-like and abiding in Christ. An example is seen in parenting. The perennial challenge is to get kids to eat healthy. Healthy. 
The ultimate goal of parenting when it comes to eating is to get kids to make the right decision someday when it comes to themselves making right decisions about food. Now, some kids are already behind on that because mom and dad make some bad decisions about, about food. And I don't like this. I don't like that. We tell our kids, you're preparing for the mission field. And so I need to start telling some of you parents, God might be preparing you for the mission field. You're not going to get chicken fingers and french fries every place you go, 50-year-old dad. You're going to have to broaden your, your eating here. Uh, it, it's, we want our kids to make healthy decisions, but they don't naturally do it. Um, it's the discipline that gives rise over time to being an authentic vegetable eater. No one would say that an adult who eats vegetables is fake because they disliked eating vegetables as a kid. No, this person has become a genuinely healthy person because somewhere there were disciplines put in place. Olympic athletes. Arguably the greatest athletes in that particular area. Year after year, they get up every morning and they grind it out to train in their craft. Training day in and day out. A lifelong process for a short-term or concentrated event. Stay awake. We wouldn't suggest that they're not genuine athletes if they didn't want to train some days. We wouldn't say that maybe they're inauthentic or they're fakes because they made themselves go work out even when they didn't feel like it. No, in reality, it's their willingness to push through and continue with their habits even when they don't feel like it. That's what defines them as true, genuine athletes. The habits make them who they are over a long period of time. But the same is true. The same is true in the spiritual life. Why is it that people want to cut the corner of spending time with God, yet they want to be able to say, we have God in our life. You may have God's presence, omnipresence, but his omnipresence is not the same as his manifest presence. Why is it we don't want to spend time with God? Well, preacher says, I'm not going to do what preacher, I want to do what God says. God didn't tell you to do less than what, what the Spirit of God commanded the disciples to do. God's not telling you less than what Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ, being fully God, spent time in prayer, then how much more should we who are not God spend time in prayer? When we stick to these disciplines, this is how God makes us and shapes us into the kind of person that he wants us to be. When you worship regularly and you attend regularly, when you pray daily and when you give regularly, that's how you are becoming. See, when you worship regularly, we become regular worshipers. When you pray daily, you become a daily intercessor. When you give regularly, we become Givers. See, these practices and disciplines open up space for the Holy Spirit to perform a, uh, a, a renovation of our heart. 
It's a means by which God reaches into our life and begins to transform us from the inside out. That's what Paul talked about in Galatians 6. He says in verse 8, you sow to the Spirit, you're going to have spiritual disciplines. You sow to the flesh, you're going to have fleshly habits. The disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living and into the depths of experiencing God. Number three. Are spiritual disciplines just for pastors and spiritual giants? Or are they for me? Are spiritual disciplines really for me? Somebody may say, all right, I'm convinced these are important, but they sound hard. That's why I think only a pastor should be the one doing these things. Listen, there are no spiritual giants that exist. Only people who desire God and practice spiritual disciplines in order to abide in the vine of the Almighty One. There are no spiritual giants. God is the one who's the great one. We must not be deceived into believing that these spiritual disciplines are just for a select few. These disciplines are for ordinary people that desire God. If these five things are not a part of your daily, weekly life, what that means is you don't desire God. I didn't say you're not saved. I'm just saying you don't desire the one who saved you. You say, you can't say that. I did. I did. You can be married and not cultivate the habits that will produce a happy, holy, harmonious marriage. You can be married and not really crave and desire to please the one you're married to. And I can say, you may be married, you just don't desire the one that you're married to. Oh, you may desire a certain feature, you may desire a certain aspect, but you're not desiring what God designed by way of marriage. And listen, what God designed by way of salvation is not going to happen by osmosis, it's not going to happen automatically, it's not going to happen because you will it to, it will only happen over a process of applying the five that will cause you to thrive. See, God intends these disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary Christians who have regular jobs, who care for children, who wash dishes, who mow lawns. And these disciplines are really best exercised in the midst of relationships with husband and wife, brothers, sisters, neighbors, co-workers. Now, listen, all of us are slaves. All of us are slaves or the product of ingrained habits that destroy and work against our life with God. We're accustomed to thinking that sin is, is a, a particular act of disobedience to God. And so it is. But it's more than that. In fact, Paul taught in Romans that it's a condition. Sin is a condition that works its way into the very ingrained habits and fiber of our being. So that we're enslaved to our habits. And what's the ordinary way that we deal with sin? We would think, let's hit it head on. 
frontal attack, call it what it is. And then we roll up our sleeves and say, not going to do it again. But do you know what Paul was trying to get across to us in Romans 5, 6, and 7, Roman, or, and, and Colossians 2 and 3? And that is, when you get determined, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to do that again. You know what happens? It's almost like the boa constrictor of sin. It wraps itself even tighter around you because the devil says, I've got you right where I want you. You stay right there with that thought process. You keep focusing on yourself will power. And I will tell you that these five disciplines are not about will power. It's about your will permission to God's power. God never said you were strong enough. You never have been. You never will be. God did say that he was. The needed change within our lives is God's work. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on the things below. But there's a cooperating with God. That's why he says in Galatians again, 6 and verse 8, you sow to the flesh, you'll get what the flesh produces. You sow to the spirit, you'll get what the spirit produces. And then he says in verse number 9, Ingram translation, don't get weary with doing good because in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. Stay at it. Do you know that a farmer is helpless to grow grain? All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He puts the seed into the ground where the natural forces take over and comes up the grain. The disciplines of God are the way that God puts us in the ground. They help plant the seed, but God does the growing. God does the transforming. I want to say as we close this. You can do this. Do what? Cooperate with God. Trust and obey. You have a choice. You have to apply. You have to practice this. This is something that is not foreign to us here in our culture. But this is part of a process. I don't know, I don't yet know of a situation, but historically, farming is not start and completed within 24 hours. But it's several 24-hour periods that comprise a process. You know, the Christian life is so often compared to a process. I think God wants us to get back to focusing on the fundamentals that make up this powerful process. This is a journey. This is a journey that will change your life. This is a journey and a process whereby you will know fruit, you will know joy, and you will experience power. Let me close with this. Joel Hans Embiid is a Cameroonian professional basketball player for the Philadelphia 76ers. After one year of college basketball with Kansas Jayhawks, he was drafted third overall by the 76ers in the 2014 NBA draft. 
Embiid is a six-time NBA All-Star, a four-time member of the All-NBA team, and a three-time member of the All-Defensive team. The drive that he has has made this 29-year-old one of the most dominant players of his generation. He's a five-time All-Star and runner-up in the league MVP voting the last couple of seasons. It also has made him rich. With a $33.6 million salary and an estimated $8 million annually from endorsements and licensing income, it ranks him among the world's highest paid athletes. He also had a big score in August of 2021 when he signed a four-year, are you listening? $196 million Supermax contract extension with the 76ers. And that is expected to take his salary to $46.9 million the next season and a whopping $58.2 million in 2026 to 2027. And to him, he feels like one of the best parts of that was he negotiated the contract himself without using an agent that saved him 4%. <laughs> Here's why I'm interested in him. He nicknamed himself the process. That's what he goes by, the process. Because he believes, quote, I can trust the process, end of quote. And if he can trust the process when it comes to basketball, how much more should we be able to trust the process when it comes to divine authority and truth that's forever settled in heaven? Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. Healthy habits of the Christian life, they'll take at least five to thrive. Nobody has to go at it alone. Everyone needs a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you have one? Everyone needs a church family. Everyone needs a pastor. Let's stand together, please.